I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, a conversation with attorney Ben Crump. Over the last decade, Crump's name has become synonymous with the fight for justice. From the infamous killing of Trayvon Martin to the recent racially motivated killings of black people in Buffalo, Ben Crump has been on the front lines. Crump is representing family members of some of the victims allegedly killed by an 18-year-old white male who seem to be driven by hate. We started there and with the toll the fight for justice takes on those on the front lines. This is tragic, Ed. Um, I mean, you just think about senseless loss of life and you can conclude nothing else that this was senseless. This young, deprived, uh, racist 18-year-old kid, for him to go out and kill all those innocent people, those innocent Black people, because his objective was to kill as many Black people as he could, and they were so innocent, Ed. That's what is so tragic about this. So, you know, 
obviously it's mentally draining, brother. You and I talk so much, Ed. But it also invigorates me to fight even harder because these were people who did not deserve this. Yeah. Let's let's go through some of what we know to this point, um, Ben, about the fight back, the pushback of this. You know, we've seen this kind of resurgence in terms of a fight to want to stop white supremacy and the violence that comes from it. But often it becomes rhetoric. Do you see anything different this time? We know Joe Biden's empathetic, but is he going to be able to put any kind of political or legislative muscle behind something to change? It remains to be seen, Ed Gordon, because, you know, the politicians, especially those are on the conservative side of the aisle, you know, they, they put politics over people. And they don't have the courage to say, we got to do something about these assault weapons. I mean, this 18-year-old young white kid went to buy AR-15. What did the gun distributor think he was going to do with that gun? I mean, everybody sees these mass shootings over and over again. So at some point, there has to be some accountability. And it has to be on everybody who was an accomplice in this mass race shooting. And we always have to talk about what it is. It's a race shooting, a race killing, because this was built on the ideology of white supremacy, white nationalism. So, Eric Gordon, we cannot just simply hold accountable this young, sick individual for his act of hate. But we have to get to the root of the hate, the people who curate the hate, the people on social media, these websites, these cable news hosts who are trying to build their ratings, talking about great race replacement theory. You know, these politicians who are trying to broaden their base uh, as fear mongers. I mean, it's these people who also have to be held accountable because it may be true that they did not pull the trigger, Ed Gordon, but they certainly loaded the gun. Then I want to make sure that we don't miss this point, though. And I've, I've been very, as you know, very critical across the board because you're absolutely right. The far right has, um, you know, far more to do with what we see. But we've seen these issues carry through whether Democrats are in office, whether Republicans are in office. We saw an assault weapons ban. Uh, some years back that Joe Biden, quite frankly, was behind. But, you know, that starts to fall to the wayside as we see this political wrangling between, you know, Democrats and Republicans. I think we all share in um, a want and a need, quite frankly, to do something different if we want a different outcome. I'm talking about liberals and conservatives, those of us who see this as wrong and those who just can't see it because their eyes are too closed. What would you like to see differently? Well, you know, the biggest thing, Ed Gordon, you want them to speak directly to the issue. I said in our first press conference, we need to renew our conversation for having an anti-Black hate crime bill. You know, we saw last year and we celebrated it when they did the anti-Asian hate crime bill and it passed with little or no resistance. Well, we need to speak directly to that for black people, too. Uh, you know, it didn't happen after the uh, 
mass shooting at Mother Emanuel down in South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, when President Obama was in power. Uh, so can we now have it uh, passed now since the Democrats are in power? And, uh, you know, we see what the senator from West Virginia and the senator from Arizona, if they're going to betray us again, when we got the majority and we can do something about it. You know, this ban on assault weapons, we did see back in the Clinton era when they banned those assault weapons, it has some effect. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're right. If we continue to do the same thing and expect different results, that's the definition for insanity. And the politicians apparently either are insane or they are okay with what's happening. It, they see it as collateral damage as long as it doesn't uh, uh, jeopardize in any way their political career. You mentioned uh, cinema and mansion. Uh, and they're kind of uh, wobbling, if you will, between what is traditional democratic thought and what the Republicans hold true to. We are up against the midterm, Ben, and I keep telling people, if, which seems to be conventional wisdom right now, let's hope it changes, but if we see the traditional change in seats in the party that holds the White House, they typically lose seats at midterms. Um, there's a question of whether or not we're going to see a huge swing. That is going to be terribly problematic in this fight. Ben, can you tell people about connecting the dots between keeping legislators in their seats and what you fight on a day-to-day? -day? Yeah, you know, right now we've seen uh, uh, voter suppression campaign like we've never seen before. They are trying, I mean, literally in my home state of Florida, they're trying to redraw the districts so they can limit the number of black congressional members. And that is very impactful when you think about that the margins are so slim in the Senate. If they get one more uh, person in the Senate, then they take the majority. In the House, it's about, what, 10, 12 seats if they pick up, then they take control of the House. And then if Mitch McConnell is in control, you talk about the federal judges because, you know, whether these mass shooters and whether there's going to be uh, gun immunity or there's going to be an exception by a federal judge to say that you can hold a gun manufacturer or the gun distributor are responsible for these mass shootings, then that comes down to a federal judge. And the Senate, when President Obama was in power for eight years, Mitch McConnell did everything in his power to stop President Obama from putting on more liberal-leaning federal judges, more minority judges, more diverse judges. And we can wholeheartedly expect that's going to be the situation if they get back in power. I mean, the Supreme Court just the other day made a ruling that said you cannot consider emotional distress in a discrimination lawsuit. I mean, that's what happens when they get control and that's what they're trying to do to roll back all the gains we've made during the civil rights era. So it is a war. It's not even about it. It is a war for us to be able to protect our constitutional rights 
in our community to have a, democ uh, a democratic government that is re uh, responsive and it looks like our community, a representative government that says people in our neighborhoods, we can vote our leaders and it's not gerrymandered mm -hmm. to where they segregated so we don't have power. Democrats make up the majority in the state of Florida and many other states, but because how the lines are drawn, like in North Carolina, the Republicans got all the power. Let me ask you this, Ben. You mentioned it, and I, I think it's uh, so vastly important. You talked about uh, social media and Fox News in particular and, and, and other um, social media news outlets. I'll put that in quotes in terms of shaping the narrative. I use what you did so brilliantly this week in terms of shaping um, the narrative. You kept hammering home the idea of terrorist, terrorist, terrorist uh, with this shooting in Buffalo. Too often the news media, if it has been in particular a white male committing these crimes, they walk it away from the narrative of terrorism. They try to put it on damn near anything else. Give me a sense of the importance of writing the narrative to suit what we understand is the truth. You know, I, I got a lot of pushback when I said that this was domestic terrorism. And I don't know anybody who is speaking truthfully when they try to say this is not an act of domestic terrorism. They're being disingenuous. When you call the Oklahoma City bombing domestic terrorism, you call the shooting in Parkland, Florida, domestic terrorism. You talk about the uh, Columbine and shootings in Aurora. Everything is domestic terrorism. But when it comes to black people being killed based on ideology, then that is the very definition of domestic terrorism. A citizen in your country shooting and killing another group of citizens in that same country over ideology. That is the definition of domestic terrorism. And as the head of the FBI said, the number one issue to disturb the peace and tranquility of American society is white supremacy and these domestic terrorist actions. And so we have to continue to always, when we get a chance, even if it's unpopular, speak truth to power because our communities, our culture, our, very, our children, everything rests on us being able to say that our lives are just as valuable. And no, we just don't see it as crime when a white boy shoot up a church or shoot up a grocery store killing all black people. But yet... When they shoot white people, no, it's something more. America, we have to respond to terrorism. That's what they're saying. Well, in Buffalo, New York, we're saying this is terrorism. America, we need to respond to terrorism in this instance because we know when it's a terrorist act, America responds in the most profound way. And that's what we need America to do. If not, if we don't get to the root of this hate, I'm sad to say that we will see more innocent people killed.
in our, we will see more innocent people in black neighborhoods taken from this earth far too soon because they have radicalized young, insecure white boys on these notions that they will be replaced by people who they think are not appropriate to be American citizens. And that's that's the irony of it. We built this country for free. If we're not entitled to be American citizens just like them, well, explain to me what you did for free for America. Ben, let me ask you this. If, if his writings are to be believed, it seems like his parents were in the dark about who he was and this radicalization. Uh, you know, my first thought was he must have come from a home that taught that kind of hate at 18. You know, you can be misguided at 18. Most of us are. But that kind of hate, that visceral gut hate that we see in this young boy. You know, you have to wonder where that came from. But if the writings are to be believed, he seems to have duped his parents as well. Don't know if that's true or not. But what's your thinking of, as you mentioned here, this radicalization so early on in many young white men in particular in their lives? You know, I think we all condemn Osama bin Laden for radicalizing young, impressionable minds. Well, shouldn't we be condemning these uh, white nationalists, white supremacists within the boundaries of our own country? You know, mainstream media in many ways have uh, made these, these racist theories and beliefs somewhat legitimate. Uh, you know, we used to say this was just on the far right fringes. But now, no, you have politicians spruing out this hate. You have major cable news personalities who influence millions of Americans having an impact on legitimating and, you know, making this theory acceptable. And we have God knows social media and the websites that they are allowed to do it. But we can't try to make excuses and say we didn't know because over the course of the last 20 years, every other month there's been a mass shooting where there's, they're targeting black people, Jewish people, Asian people, Hispanic people. They all are saying white supremacy white nationalists, certain people are less uh, appropriate to be in our country than we are. And that's what they continue to say. So if we didn't catch the signs, it's just because we weren't paying attention. When we come back, Ben talks about keeping the faith that things will change the fight for Henrietta Lacks' family, and being the star of a new documentary.
I ask Ben about what he tells those who are growing tired of the killings and injustice. What do we tell those who have normalized the senseless killings and violence and the continued degradation given to the Black community? And what I tell them is, but by the grace of God, it wasn't your loved one. It wasn't your husband, your wife, your mother, your father, your daughter, your son. Because then, when it happens to you, is it going to be normal? Because what we do know, if we don't do something radically different, it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. And so we can't accept this as normal, everyday part of society. No, this is offensive and outrageous on every level, and we have to treat it as such. I was uh, grateful for President Biden coming to visit Buffalo, New York, because we need the uh, highest of our leaders to use their influence to say, this is not normal. This is not acceptable. No matter how many times these radicalized, sick, depraved individuals do this, we cannot accept that this is acceptable behavior. We got to rail against it with everything we got. We got to go yell from the mountaintop that you can't do this to our neighborhood and our community. Let me move to a couple of things that you're uh, directly involved with, and that's a lawsuit against a biotech firm uh, in, in, uh, in conjunction with the Henrietta Lacks uh, case. Give us, give us an update on that. Then. Yeah, thank you so much, Ed, for uh, bringing attention to that, because Henrietta Lacks, as we know, uh, in 1951, was butchered by Johns Hopkins Hospital, where they were experimenting medical racism on Black people, trying to see if they could uh, find somebody whose cells can survive outside of the body and regenerate outside of the body. Well, Henrietta Lacks, you know, this miraculous Black woman, her cells did do exactly that. They are mortal cells. Oprah Winfrey made a movie about it. And, uh, you know, for 70 years, her cells keep regenerating and pharmaceutical companies have made billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. I mean, her cells are the cornerstone of modern medicine. Every advancement that we have known in the last 50 years have been based on using her genetic materials to test everything on her. And her family hasn't received one red penny. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's appalling. Her son, her only living son, Lawrence Lack, can't even afford quality health care as he struggles with his ability to walk in dementia. And so we had filed the lawsuit earlier this year. and I'm sorry, last year. And now we had a hearing on their motion to dismiss. And one of the things I articulated to the judge is that the HeLa cells did not derive from Henrietta Lacks. The HeLa cells are Henrietta Lacks. And this attempt to try to disassociate 
the cells from this black woman's body is ingenuous and it harkens back to the medical racism that allowed them to, you know, not treat syphilis in black men down in Tuskegee, Alabama. It harkens back to the Mississippi appendectomy where black women innocent like Fannie Lou Hamer, that great civil rights icon, went to hospitals in Mississippi and they were sterilized because the doctors wanted to control and stop making black babies in Mississippi. Uh, And then you look at the testing of mustard gas on black soldiers in the Second World War because they wanted to see the effects of what happened, how much uh, poisonous gas the body could stand. And they said, oh, let's just use those black soldiers. They're irrelevant. They don't matter. And you had all these scientists doing all these experiments on black people. You in Pennsylvania, you had the prisoners talking about Johnson and Johnson, testing them with asbestos. This was as late as the 70s. Hmm. And so uh, hopefully, prayerfully, this federal judge does not dismiss this case and finally let Henrietta Lacks family have their day in court. Because as we put forth, the statute of limitations does not toll because Henrietta Lacks lives every time they her cells regenerate and they sell another one of them. Mm-hmm. Then that starts the statute of limitations running all over again. So we got three years from every time they make money from selling her sales. And I say this because this probably was the most profound moment in the courtroom. I said, Judge, my grandmother taught me to speak truth to power when you get opportunity. And, you know, the courts in America are a very powerful institution. And you all keep saying, well, where does it stop? Can their grandchildren then bring a claim against pharmaceutical companies and uh, ask for money or compensation? And my response to that was, you know, justice has no end neither. Just like the ability to make money has no end. And so when we think about it, Judge, if Henrietta Lacks in 1951 would have been treated like a human being, like a a citizen, rather than inferior, rather than being treated like a second-class citizen, let's say she had been treated like a white woman, then they would have had to get consent for her, and then her family would have the rights to the intellectual properties that were taken from her body, and they would then have to compensate them every time they used her cells. And so then we wouldn't be here in this course where y'all are saying, well, we're wrong for asking for just compensation because had she been a white woman, nobody would have denied her the ability to be compensated from what they took from her body. It is like Henry Ford, children continue to make money for what he gave. Bill Gates, Mary Kay Ash, everybody gets to profit from what their family contributed to the world except Black people. Let me get a quick update, Ben, on the um, alleged racial profiling stop in Georgia where the uh, Delaware State lacrosse team, uh, their bus was stopped searched. uh, And it seems as though the stop was unjustified. 
I know you are representing some of the families there. Give us a quick update. Yeah, and we're we're working with some great lawyers in Georgia as well as Pennsylvania uh, to look at when and how we bring a lawsuit against the Georgia State Patrol and possibly the county sheriff for racially profiling pretext your stops of people who they perceive are black and then even worse to put those young black girls through this violation of their Fourth Amendment rights against unlawful search and seizure have to be dealt with. Because if we don't deal with stuff like this, it leads, it leads to the Joseph uh, uh, Loyola, these pretentious stops leading to them killing us. And so that's why we have to fight against these pretentious stops and this uh, violation of our Fourth Amendment rights. Yeah. Lastly, Ben, I want to uh, end on on something pleasant. And, uh, you know, it's hard to believe that it's been a decade since America was introduced to Ben Crump. I mean, you 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 came to prominence uh, with the unfortunate death of, of Trayvon Martin uh, and you have been running ever since. Um, and I, I find it hard to believe that you and I have known now each other for a decade uh, and have become friends. But um, I want to get your sense of that sense of time for you, what it's been. And I also want to ask you about uh, a documentary that is coming that's going to open the African-American Film Festival um, next month and, uh, you know, talk about what that doc about you you and your fight for justice um, has been uh, for, for you. So let, let's start with the idea of 10 years. You know, it's hard to believe it's been 10 years uh, when we celebrated the remembrance Trayvon Martin uh, earlier this year, it was a stark reminder that, man, it's been 10 years and how many hashtags and, you know, Ed, you and I have become brothers, truly. Uh, I, I cherish your advice and counsel. Uh, and I want more conversations in Black, Ed Gordon. <laughs> where, where the next book coming? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, without struggle, there can be no progress uh, to quote the great Frederick Douglass. And so, you know, if we are struggling, that should not be looked at something negative that should be looked at. We are fighting for progress. And that's what I'm trying to do. You know, the documentary, uh, you know, Netflix invested a lot of resources into it. The brilliant Nadia Holgren is the director. She directed... Uh, Becoming with Michelle Obama uh, and then uh, Kenya Barris, the creator of the, of the television show Blackish, is the executive producer along with uh, Oscar Award winning uh, director Roger Ross Williams, uh, another great brother. And uh, they followed me for two years, just all in my business, and <laughs> everywhere I went, had a camera. But it was, you know, Nobody could have predicted the things they were going to capture. You know, that uh, Ahmaud Aubrey was going to be lynched for jogging while black in Brunswick, Georgia, that Breonna Taylor was going to be executed in her own home uh, during a global pandemic, that George Floyd was going to be tortured to death by the Minneapolis police officer putting a knee on his neck. So they capture all of that stuff. But more importantly, I think they capture how we work to make 
the value of Black Life Matter. That's the whole overarching theme of the documentary, the value of Black life and Black people to society, why we have to fight in the court of law and the court of public opinion to finally get America to acknowledge our worth. Because once I believe they see us as valuable, then they don't continue to treat us as being less valuable than them. And so we fight over and over again. I, I tell, they quote me in the interview with Ted Copper saying, I get up every day, Ed Gordon, I am never uh, unsure what my mission in life is. Every day I get up, my mission in life is to be an unapologetic defender of Black life, Black liberty, and Black humanity. And some people see that as controversial or they too scared to say it. Well, every day they get up, they are unapologetic defenders of white life, white liberty, and white humanity. And they tell us it's their birthright. Well, you know what I say, Gordon? Throughout this documentary, it's our birthright too. Well, Ben Crump, we couldn't have known when we thrust the name of Trayvon Martin to become a household name, um, the many names, unfortunately, that would follow and would join him in that dubious, dubious list. But the one name we're glad that uh, has been there through those 10 years is Ben Crump. And so we appreciate you, Ben, uh, for being on the front line. I appreciate your friendship, man. And uh, keep, keep the fight, brother. Hey, thank you, brother. I look forward to watching the doc with you and you giving me some of your valuable insight like you always do. All right, Ben. Thanks again. All right, brother. God bless. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media.